My guest on Giving Grief the Middle Finger is Mr. Jerry Carchi. Jerry's an advocate that works with special needs children and their families. He's a book author, instructor, and the father of a young daughter who has a very rare condition called Pfeiffer Syndrome. Welcome to Giving Grief the Middle Finger, Mr. Jerry Carchi. Please. Just elaborate a little bit on your circumstance. My daughter was born with a syndrome called Pfeiffer syndrome. It's a craniofacial difference. Uh, it really affected the structure of her head and face, where she's had to have multiple surgeries. We've uh, we've been very blessed um, in the sense that she she's very cognitive. Uh, it's been a long journey, and it's still not done. We still have a lot more to go. We've been through so much with her because of this syndrome that we've been able to discover a lot of things about ourselves. Also, uh, I'm always saying I'm in awe of her because each of the procedures, surgeries, doctor visits, she's very nervous and, and gets worked up. But at the end of the day, she's she comes out stronger than she was before. We've been able to do a few things with her. Um, and now she's a teenager and she actually turned 14 on Friday. So okay. she's a 14 year old. And it's just it's crazy for me to say it. And, and I reflect a lot this year with her just to see her now becoming uh, a young lady is Pretty incredible. It just means you're getting older, man. <laughs> I know. I don't want to get older yet. <laughs> it, it is an incredible thing, seriously, because you and Virginia and Sydney have gone through this 14-year journey. It's made you make some changes in your life. Yeah. Seeing what she's been going through and, you know, she also she's hearing impaired, so she's had to go through that journey. For the first few years, we didn't even know she was hard of hearing until she was five years old. Discovering that was was a whole different ball game. Understanding what we needed to do to help her. Her special need was that one thing. Learning more about getting her prepared and how to face the world with this other obstacle was was leading me towards the career that I'm in now, which is helping special needs. Seeing what I had to go through with Sydney, seeing what she's been through. Um, it's built up a lot of empathy in me. It's also built up a lot of adv advocacy for her and for them. You know, as I've been learning and working with them, there's challenges they face. They're, those challenges have let, let them become even stronger people, caring people. They've earned, learned to be empathetic uh, with all her surgeries, um, the hearing impairment, her education. All those things have kind of build my way into this direction that I'm in now. I, before I even started doing all this, I was a salesperson and I love sales. I love talking. I love being with people. Not to say that that's not a, the right profession for anyone. I started to kind of feel like I was leaning toward, a, away from that, going towards this side of professional on this end of it. My feelings had changed. My empathy had changed. Doing something that felt right for me. And so that's kind of where it's led me to that. Ultimately, with, with her, like I said, you know, I'm always in awe of her because when she was going through this journey with surgeries and, and dealing with that end of it, we decided to go through this mantra with her and teach her this mantra. I wanted her to see the person inside of her because I could see it. You know, as soon as she started to learn to talk, we started doing the mantra, which was I'm beautiful, I'm smart, I'm funny, I'm caring, I'm brave, I'm strong, and I believe in me big surgery she had when she was five years old, she had to wear this external device that literally was off her face. Like you can't, you couldn't miss it. And we had to, you know, move her mid face forward. That 
seeing her go through that and wear it like a trophy and wear it like a prize and not be ashamed of it, not be depressed by it. She worked through that. And I believe it was through the mantra. It, it really helped her and it still helps her today. How did you guys find out what was occurring or was it a total surprise to you when she was born? Yeah. So we, we were not expecting that at all. Uh, we were in the midst of preparing for our child to come, not expecting anything at all. Uh, the day she was born, the doctor did ask us if we had any had done testing regarding um, Down syndrome or anything like that. And we said, everything seemed to come back fine. There was no issue. And he immediately knew like, oh, there's something different going on here. There's, there's something different about her. We don't know what it is, but you know, everything else is fine. She's breathing, she's moving and all the, all the other so it came, it came to a complete surprise for both of us. We both were not expecting that. It definitely put us into a tailspin because having Pfeiffer syndrome is is rare. It's one out of 100,000 kids are born with it. So it, there's not much information at that time about it. There wasn't really enough for us to kind of like fall onto and say, oh, it's like she just needs to have her tonsils removed because her tonsils are too big. You know, it's not something that you can just be like, oh, we'll just do this procedure and then we move on with our lives. This was gonna be a full life thing that she was gonna to have to face. How we were going to carry her through that was daunting. We, we, we didn't know what to do. Not to say we didn't have support from our family. We absolutely did. They were for, there for us. You know, the moral support, the emotional support, you know, they were there for us. Um, but there's things that are, you, you just can't pass on. Like those feelings of like, I have my child having to go through surgery again to do, you know, they're going to do this. It's major work. They have to reconstruct their skull. Like you're just those feelings. And I'm sure my family felt the same way, but it's a different understanding of what that is, you know, and that's hard to pass on. I mean, I understand. How many surgeries does she have? We're probably at 15, 16. You know, it, I don't want to say I've lost count because it, but it feels that way because we've been right, through it. Right. Since she's been six months old, she's had her first surgery. And Things that have just gone on through her life that, you know, even last year we were surprised with another surgery because she had uh, what's uh, called a Chiari malformation because her head is so tight. Her brain doesn't have place to grow. They needed to do some surgery on that to re help relieve the pressure. You know, as they say, the older they get, the more they know, the harder it is. She struggled with that. But like I said, last semester she got honors and she's back to her old self. And so like those are the kind of things that I feel like she bounces back because she has this internal strength about her. We talked about it. The world outside can be pretty unforgiving. Say you're out in public, maybe somebody approaches, their acknowledgement is a little too over the top, put it that way. How do you address that? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you, you have it both ways, which is kind of, you have the one person who comes over and they're just so over the top. Again, coming from the right place, it's a love and support thing. They're, they're like just a little bit over the top. It's almost exaggerated. Well, cause Cindy is so good at this. Her, she reads body language. Like I just, it's incredible. And she'll pick up on it so quickly and she'll let the person know, like you need to kind of like, you don't have to go so much. Right. Like, and she says it all the time because, you know, she's had to face that where people will automatically assume as she says, right. who she is and what she's like, she's had to be like, Hey, you know, I, I, I appreciate the love. I appreciate, you know, thank you. You can, you don't have to be so much, you know, like right. in, in a lot of times it's just more of an awareness. And so like, I try to give them a little bit of a, an awareness and education 
of right. what she's facing, what she's going through, and just kind of keep it as a small summary. Again, I want the awareness to be out there. I just don't want it to come off as like we're defensive about it because I don't want anyone to feel that way. You know, it shouldn't turn into a defensive thing. And to be honest with you, it's very difficult for my wife. The lioness comes out uh, as as she should, right? Because mom is mom, right? Mom, right. Moms are there to protect you and, you know, keep you safe. Sometimes the lioness will want to come out, but I've had to be like, it's coming from the right place. You you know, we don't have to be so, so defensive. Being the other way around, that end of it, cruel, just being cruel, is go in it like a bull, you know, in a china shop and just really go ape on the person, right? I feel like that's that's not the the most appropriate way to make someone aware, like the awareness of it, because now it becomes a battle, right? Like then then it becomes, oh, well, then that's how they act. That's how they behave, right? And we right. don't want that. You know, say, hey, uh, what you're saying is inappropriate. This is what's happening. You know, right. kind of give them that kind of our perspective. She's already had a lot to deal with in her life. Now she's got to deal with this. You kind of just try to downplay it a little bit and just kind of educate. Right, movies like Mask, they kind of, it, br- it brings awareness to the audience, but it's also kind of a, a, a stigmatizes. Yeah, exactly. Because I feel that, you know, and let me tell you, the movie Mask, as, as you brought up, Cher uh, was promoting the movie throughout the country. And she was encountering families, with, had kids with craniofacial differences and saying, thank you for putting it out there. Just to put it out there, right? Just to kind of show people that they are human beings too. They're not this other thing. Yes, it's a double-edged sword because then there's assumptions that come with that from watching on a movie what you think people are like. At least it's out there. Right. And so it gives an opportunity for us to be even to even talk about it, which I think is even a little bit better. Um, but Cher saw that the, all these families didn't know each other. And she felt, you know, it's a rare uh, syndrome. So a lot of these families from California to New York could have talked to each other and be like, hey, I'm not alone in this world, right? I'm not, we're, we're going right. through this too. Right. So she created this uh, retreat. It's a CCA Kids, Children's Creative Facial Association for Kids. And we got involved with it uh, probably when Cindy was, I want to say, six years old. Uh, it was after she had her mid-face surgery. And it's first of all, it's wonderful because you get to travel different parts of the country. We've been to uh, Florida. We've been to uh, Salt Lake City. We've been to Phoenix. And so, and we've been to different parts of Virginia. So it's very cool to kind of go out to those places. But then you're meeting these families from different parts of the country, from different parts of the world that have these different craniofacial differences. And now you're in a world with them where we're, we're such a large group. We take over a hotel, which I think is awesome. Right. But when we're in there, it's our world. And you feel so safe because now there's no staring. There's no asking. There's no question. We're just, we're in a room full of people yeah. like us, you know, and, and it's families. And then talking to families that who are been, who are coming up, right. Who are just starting their journey. We're able to pass down our knowledge and what we've been through and, and, and the mantra and how, right. you know, hey, look at Cindy now. You know, it's we still have more to go, but, you know, look how far we've gotten with her. And then there's families who are above us who've gone through that journey, who kids are adults now okay. and what they've been through. And now we can ask them, like, how did you navigate? Right. How did you get through? How did you get through the teen years right now? Like, that's kind of what we're at. Such an awesome program. And we get an opportunity to connect and talk to each other and stay involved with each other, get together, even if it's outside the retreat, you know, cause we do have like the Northeast side where there's a lot of us still around here. 
you know, you learn to become an open book okay. because that's kind of where I've been, where I've become, where I'm an open book. Anyone wants to talk to me about this, I'm there. If there's families that they're just starting off, I've had teachers from schools call me and say, oh, we have a child, parents that have this child that has the syndrome. Do you, can you talk to them? Absolutely. Like we jump in head first. Me and Virginia are right there to be like, yes, we're there to help you because we didn't have that. That's where we're stepping up. We've had to overcome. And this is kind of where, when I talk to other people, they're kind of in those different stages. Usually the first stage, why, why me? Like why us? I saw a documentary on this woman who had a child who also had uh, special needs. Not the same thing Cindy had, but I feel like a lot of times this kind of all relates right. um, where she was doing everything possible for this child. And the, the reporter was talking to her and saying, like, you know, what? Why are you doing this? It, it may be easier for you to, like, bring them to a hospital for kids that deal with this and just like kind of not leave them there, but just be like, let them deal with that stuff. Right. The child chose me to be that person. And as soon as she said that. It was like, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, right. oh my God, Sydney chose me and Virginia to be her parents and help her navigate through this, helped us through our lives to be able to see things that maybe we would never have seen if we didn't have Sydney in our lives. Yeah. Talk to me about the Zen Salto thing. I mean, we spoke yeah. about that before, <laughs> but that's an, that's an extension of, again, of this situation, actually. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. You know. So yeah, so what we, you know, because of, you know, me reaching out and talking to these parents that who are who are kind of coming up, as I said, who've gone through this. Why? Why me? Why not? There's there's another level of grief that you you start to have, right? And that level, which would leads me to the Zen Salto, is you know that grief of you know the the image in your mind of what your life is going to be when this child's born and what it's going to be after and how you're going to grow with them and all these things, right? This one gentleman wrote this letter, which I think is it's called the Holland letter, which I think is amazing that it kind of best describes kind of that situation. You're planning a, a your vacation, your your dream trip, right? This is your on your bucket list. It's, I'm going to go to Paris. This is when I get to Paris. The first thing I'm going to do is hit a cafe and get a croissant, hot chocolate. Like you're planning out this trip and it's it's been years in the making and it's everything is coming together and and now you're on the plane and you're heading to Paris. And then when you land, you're in Holland. What? I, I'm packed for Paris. I'm ready to hit Paris hard. I'm, I'm going to I have all these plans to get to do things I'm going to do there. And then you're told, sorry, you're not going to be in Paris. You're going to be in Holland. And you get off the plane and you see everyone else go to Paris. Now you're stuck in Holland, right? Gotcha. But then you're like, OK, well, I'm here. I got to do something. So this is where the Zen Salto, like for me, is the, what do I do with this? Do I sit here, cry and complain all day and not appreciate Holland, where there's windmills, chocolate, right? Beautiful scenery, beautiful people, food. What should I do? Should I just sit here and cry and complain or should I do something about it? We're in Holland, but I've learned to enjoy Holland. So that's really what it comes down to. So when I started doing the mantra with Sydney, um, I, I, I love to dance. And as you mentioned before, it's something I always love to do. And I started doing Zumba classes and I enjoyed Zumba for fitness so much to the point where I became an instructor. Beginning of class, and it was mostly for me, to be honest with you, I would say the mantra 
because I had to settle myself down and be like, you can do this. You're teaching people, right? And I would say it with everyone in class. And then like people liked it and people started calling it something else. They're like, this is like a Zen class. They're like, it's awesome. You, you come in here and you make us feel well, like you feel us feel good right from the start. Um, I actually had one member tell one of my directors that those are words that she never said to herself her whole life. And it was the first time taking a Zumba class. She was totally nervous. She goes, but after saying that, she was like, okay, I can do this. She loves the class. That's where I said, like, you know, I got to combine the mantra with dancing because it's what I love to do. It's my passion. If I can combine those two things somehow, it took me a couple of years to really work it out in my head how I wanted to do it. And then it came together. Each week we go through each of the words. So like for beautiful, we'll spend a half hour talking about it and how that can be effective in your life and how to use that beautiful. I don't want it to be beautiful as a superficial, I'm beautiful, look at me. Right. It's beautiful as look at the world. The world is beautiful, right? Look at look at the people that are surrounding you, the support that you have, the, the sky is beautiful. And then we have that discussion for a half hour. And then the second half hour, we do dance routines. I want them to learn the dance routines. So we, we repeat those dance routines for the next seven weeks. Week eight, we do a full hour of dance routines. So we do the ones you already learned and then you do ones that you haven't learned. And the ones you haven't learned are the ones, that's when you use the, I believe in myself to get through that last hour, to get yourself through that. So that you're building yourself up, you're building confidence, you're building self-worth. I really wanna target my, my target population, as they say, is preteens, teens, adults. Okay. Because okay. that transition from, and, and the reason why I say preteens is because as my daughter was going through stuff last year, and as she's growing into these teen years, I would say probably about three months ago or two months ago, we were having a discussion about how things have been tough for her at school with her friends and the situation. There's always drama and all that stuff, right? And she goes, there was one day she was feeling really down about herself, but she goes, but my subconscious kept saying the mantra. It's in her subconscious. Like she's like, it was in my subconscious and I got myself out of that. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. A lot of people in some form of grief, they, they don't see a self-worth. I was just doing a lecture and they were talking about the rate of suicide, for instance. You know, another reason why I try to get this out there and talk to, talk to people, as many people as I can uh, about it, because we are, we all worth something. We all bring something to the table. We all have this inner being that we need to discover, that we need right. to see. You know, sometimes it takes someone to pull it out of you. And I think we've all had someone in our lives kind of help us see that within ourselves that, you know, hey, look, you know, you we're worth more than what you think you are. You know, you need that that champion for you. But at the at the end of the day, you need to be your own champion. You need to kind of, Say to yourself, you know what? All these people believe in me. All these people trust me. All these people have this belief that I can do things. Why not? Right. And why right. not me? Why can't I do this? I'm always watching documentaries where there's an inspiration in the end. Um, I'm not sure if you watched the Oscars last night, but I was literally in tears probably half the show. A lot of these actors, directors, who all have these beautiful stories of where they've had to come from some sort of diversity. Right. We have, we, and we all have it. Life isn't perfect and we all have to struggle. Life hits hard. Life will knock you down. 
it's when we can decide, like I said before, do I sit here and cry in a puddle or do I look for the beauty in it or look for what can make me move forward from this? And, and this is kind of where like, I feel like the younger, starting them young with right. this. So I wrote a children's book based on my daughter. It's a fictional book, but it's based on her. Um, it's called Princess Sydney Strong, What Makes Me Different. And it's available on Amazon. The book really was kind of just showing what we went through as parents, right? Kind of like unexpected child with this syndrome tied together to the very end. And then she, at the end of the story, basically kind of says, this is what makes me different. And it's not her face. It's not that she's royalty. It's the mantra. So okay. that mantra is what's really making her different. And so what I'm trying, you know, I, I would read this. Actually, I was reading at the libraries and I was reading to younger kids because I want them and I would make them say it with me at the end of the book. You know, they're, they're going to face these social media, you know, way of thinking as far as, you know, what life should be like. And if you don't have that, you have nothing. I think that starting them to understand at that age what their self-worth is. And what they bring to the table will also be a domino effect because then they'll all treat each other that way because they're going to start seeing the beauty in the per their friend in class or the beauty of someone being different in class. All, all that stuff is superficial. From the inside out, that's all that matters. If I can start them understanding that at preschool level to kindergarten, first grade, second grade, by the time they hit the preteens, they already have this base of understanding that they have self-worth. Feeling like what's, and this is kind of where I felt with Cindy. It's she inspired me to write the book when she was five years old because she had gone through that surgery and she was wearing this right. halo and she, you know, this device and she was wearing it like a trophy because I knew that with us going through that with her already at that stage, she was kind of felt confident enough to be like, hey, this is what's going on with me deal with it, right? This is who I am and accept it. Like it, it was kind of like, oh my God, like, and I really felt the mantra really did work. And we would say with her every day, every morning, it was without like fail. We did it every day before she started school in the morning, get her day off. So think about from five to 14, she's still using it. That yeah. reinforcement is exactly what what people need and here's the funny bye bye i'm i'm listening to as you're talking i'm like she was actually schooling you like daddy come on yeah. <laughs> like you said she schooled us you know i always i learn so much from her right every day there's something that she'll say to me or or express to me and i'm like ah oh, you know i never, i didn't see it that way and it's a and i'm like you're brilliant you're you're a genius like it like blows my mind and i'm like okay here's something i can take with that and do with it you know and transferring it and changing it and making it, you know, making it our own in our own way too. Like, you know, I've built up this confidence, you know, and I never felt comfortable enough to do this, what we're doing right now. I was kind of the shy guy, you know, and I mean, right. I, I love dancing right. and all that, and but to be this person that I'm doing now and talking and wanting to advocate and, you know, I, I want to be part of the community more, like those things never popped in my mind, never you'll see that you're meant to do something. Whatever you've gone through was that catalyst. Yeah. But once that happens, it exposes us to a, what I always say, a better version of us. And that, that's yeah. what's interesting. Listen, I, I just want to say this again. Jerry, thank you for 
taking the time to talk to me. Hey, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the fact you decided to do something with the circumstances that you have been dealing with, something that's going to be positive, that's going to help in the future. So again, Jerry Conchie, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to episode two, Enjoying Holland on the Giving Your Grief the Middle Finger Show. I'm your host, Jay Lewis. New shows appear every Thursday. Next week, I'm interviewing a college professor from Utica University who's witnessed a few paranormal activities. Go to jl3motivation.com, leave me an email, or book me for a virtual or in-person speaking event, and use this show to discover different ways to apply mental judo.